if you focus on the work and you focus on working really hard and you focus on the value you're going to bring that organization, that's going to bring you happiness and going to give you career development. If you start focusing on everyone else's journey around you, then it's only going to trip you up. Welcome to the Future Podcast, a show that explores the interesting overlap between design, marketing, and business. I'm Greg Gunn. We talk a lot about branding, what it is, what it means, and how it all works. But our guest today works in branding at the highest creative level. She is the Executive Creative Director at Mother Design in London. Now, Mother is a world-famous agency, and you've probably come in contact with one of their incredible campaigns at some point. In this episode, we follow our guest through her entire career and hear about all the personal and professional choices she made that ultimately led her to where she is today. You'll hear about what drives her endless curiosity, how she specializes in not specializing, and why playing the comparison game will only lead you to unhappiness. Please enjoy our conversation with Kirsty Mins. Okay, Kirsty, I'm so excited to talk to you. I don't know how this happened, how it came to be, but I've been a fan of Mother for a really long time. And so I was like, is this the same Mother that I've looked up to like my entire design career? And it is the same one. And I'm just blown away by the, the breadth of work and the quality of work and just everything up and down. So that's me gushing for half a second. But for people who don't know who you are, could you just introduce yourself, please? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Kirsty. I'm an executive creative director at Mother Design in London. So I run um, the studio alongside my business partner, Catherine, and specifically Mother Design is the branding and um, design studio that's part of the Mother family. So we've got offices in um, London, in New York. Um, but just in terms of what we do, we work with clients and strategically define their brand and then translate that visually, tonally and behaviourally. Um, but Mother is also, the family is really well known for their amazing advertising campaigns as well. So that's probably also where people might have seen the likes of Ikea, KFC, um, some really amazing, iconic work that's come out over the last 27 years, um, I think Mother's been going for. What is the relationship between the advertising mother and the, the design and branding mother? Yeah, so we we work holistically. So Mother's an independent run business. So Mother Design sits as an arm within Mother London. So we work on a lot of projects across the agency, but also work with a lot of clients ourselves. So we work with lots of big brands, but we also work with a lot of um, startups um, companies as well. So we like to have a good, good mix. Wonderful. I read something on the website and I thought this was kind of funny and I, I was hoping you could explain it to me. It says mother design is an independent branding and design studio that specializes in not specializing. I, I love that phrasing. It, it got me to raise an eyebrow or two. What does that even mean? Oh, that's a good question, Chris. Um, well, it means two things. I suppose we, don't specialize in a visual style because I think 
we believe that no brand should look the same. So a lot of the stuff we do is about creating something that feels relevant and distinctive and true to that brand. And then I think the other thing is we don't specialize in output because I think um, increasingly the way that a brand needs to present themselves in the world is they need to be thinking about not just their brand identity. So not just their art direction, their typography, but now brands really need to focus on how they're speaking. How do they, how do they smell? How do they sound? How do they feel? And I think that's why we don't specialize in a particular output. Um, we really put together quite a multidisciplinary team of designers, thinkers, makers around um, different briefs to solve them. Wonderful. When I ran a design agency, it was called Blind, and Blind had a very similar philosophy, which is to begin without preconceived ideas, without prejudice, and so we began the project Blind. And that worked for us, and that's why when I read it, mm, I can connect to that, but it created a huge problem for us, which was we saw highly specialized firms that either focused on output or specific style would zoom past us in growth. Now, eventually, they would hit a dead end, but it was kind of hard to watch. Like some upstart company zoom past us and it's like, oh my God, what are we doing wrong? But obviously, mother doesn't have that kind of challenge. If I'm a young person, I'm listening to this, based on your point of view, how would you advise them? Should they start to specialize or should they take on this philosophy of not specializing? Well, that's a, I guess that really does relate to my, um, my whole origin story. I, I think like, I don't think there's a wrong or right answer, I suppose, like to your point about what you were building in um, Blind and similarly with this structure, there are challenges to it, but I truly believe you can build a design agency that has that multidisciplined skill set within it. And I think you don't necessarily need to go through your career and specialise if that's not who you are and that's not what excites you. I think there is also a role for specialists too. We use a lot of specialists in projects and bring them together as a blended set of skills. But I don't think being a specialist is the only route forward. And I suppose I'm proof of that, that I, I never specialized. And actually, that's probably my biggest strength today. Okay, tell me more about how that began. So now we know you're a creative director at a super awesome company. Let's rewind the table. Let's bring it back into time where maybe this path wasn't so clear for you. What were you, how old were you? What were you thinking? What were you doing so that we can retrace the steps? Oh, it's how, how long do you want me to speak for? It's a long winding story. Do you want to settle in or do you want the, the fast track version? I want the medium version. I want the juicy details, you know, the parts that matter. Okay. Settle in, Chris. No, um, I suppose like from the very beginning, branding in its, in its most holistic sense was was sort of in my blood when I was born. My grandparents had a small shoe business in Cornwall that went back four or five generations and they ran like a business there where they made and they like repaired shoes. And so even when at a very early age, I was exposed to what the very onset of like branding and brand was. My father has like a um, branding iron in his garage, which has my great great grandfather's initials on from something like 1860. So, seeing that sort of those branded details and seeing like the emotional reaction I could have to that was was sort of in my blood. 
Um, so I, I grew up in a family that was very business orientated. So my dad also subsequently went into the world of retail. He he started a modern apprenticeship at the age of 17 and sort of worked his way up in the world of retail to become a sales and marketing director of a luxury brand called Mulberry. So he worked really hard to like graft his way up. So branding and business was just a part of my um, everyday life. Like my parents had business books in the toilet downstairs where you'd have um, books like the 48 Laws of Power um, staring you in the face when you were when you were in the bathroom, and I suppose all of that had like such a massive impact on me and 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 my fascination with branding and design very broadly. So then I entered into the education system. I, I just I went to a local state school in Somerset, so in the countryside, and there they had really great like design facilities. And I, I guess at that point I just didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I had a fascination with design. But at that time, I would be trying out tinkering in the workshop. Sometimes I'd be using, um, you know, the very uh, now, which seems so old school, some of the computer programs in the library. They only had like two computers at that time. So you had to wait your turn. Um, And I suppose, yeah, from a very early age, I was just experimenting with design. But part of that, I think, Coming from the countryside, there wasn't a lot of access to seeing the sort of design and studios that were coming out of London. So I always knew that's where I wanted to be. And I was really obsessed by the city and obsessed that I wanted to get there. But again, didn't really know what I wanted to specialize in. So I did a degree at Goldsmiths, which was a really amazing um, degree course because that too also went along this philosophy of specializing and not specializing. It was really about thinking about design as a way that it wasn't just a way of making and doing, it's a way of understanding and engaging in the world. So we never specialized in a four-year degree course. Really, it was about imagining what the possibilities of design could be. So how would you, you know, how can design affect the environment as a whole? How does design affect society? How does design affect culture? How does it affect our relationships with um, things that are coming into the world? So you learn design as a comp- like as a combination of, of like systems and actions. You don't just learn any practical skills as part of this degree, which was an amazing foundations, I suppose, and, and a level of thinking that has stayed with me throughout my whole career I think the challenge though Chris was probably when I graduated like realizing well what how do I make money because I didn't know I didn't have any skills (laughs) so so I think then after that you you realize that you've got bills to pay and you've got no one to pay them for you so I think that's where I started like my career trying to find my home within design and that consisted of some very unusual jobs along the way. So I I started, had an amazing experience um, working in fashion editorial magazines. I worked for Dazed and Confused magazine and Pop magazine as as an intern. My favorite experience of that was um, creating a, well, creating, I was an intern, but I was uh, assisting two amazing fashion stylists, a lovely lady called Kathy Edwards, who sadly, 
passed away and Karen Langley, these really talented female stylists who were working on a gold frap music video. So my first design job was to assist them, which consisted, if you know the video, it's gold frap number one, which has lots of dogs, lots of amazing dogs heads in it and Alison Goldfrapp looking fabulous. And my job was to look after the hands of the models and the dogs. So very glamorous gateway into design. But I think it was my first understanding of what a career in the creative industry might look like and how many amazing people are involved in the process. So from the stylists to the set designers, to the producers, to the filmmakers, to the focus pullers, like I I had no idea that a career in the creative industries could be so varied and just so inspiring. And I think from then I, I realized that that was definitely the world I wanted to be in, but still wasn't necessarily clear on what I wanted to do. Okay, there's so much there for me to kind of sort out here. So let me just quickly try to figure this stuff out. So the story began with your grandparents, I believe. So when you said sit back, relax, (laughs) you really took it back to the start. Grandparents ran a business and branding was literally like a piece of metal, like you'd burn into something like a hot brand, right? So that was a mark. And then through your parents in uh, working in, 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 in fashion and marketing and, and building a business and entrepreneurship, all these kinds of things. So you grew up in all of this, like multi-generational, wonderful. You go to school. I assume you're at college age, like you're 21 years old and you graduate from Goldsmith School. Is that the idea? Okay. And you, <laughs> I love the way you say that. They taught you no practical skills. So it's a lot of theory and understanding systems. And did you read a lot? Did you write a lot? Is that what was involved? Um, yeah, a lot of reading, a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. You didn't specialize. So you would be given like specific briefs that were very conceptual and you could answer those briefs in whatever medium you wanted. So if you wanted to answer the brief through the medium of textiles, or if you wanted to answer the brief through the medium of product design. So I went through my whole four years working in every single medium. So from ceramics to graphics to, to products um, and everything in between. How did you know how to even handle the materials if they if it wasn't very practical? You learned off each other and you learned from yourself. It's amazing, like, if you are dedicated to your craft, you can learn quite quickly from so many different resources. And I think we had we had access to workshops and we had some some practical based skills things, but most of the stuff we taught ourselves. Like for my final year, I did a lot of work in ceramics and spent about three months in this tiny hut on the grounds of like goldsmiths teaching myself how to slip cast teaching myself how to mold make um a lot and and finding people that wanted to offer that support so we found there was an amazing guy who was working in like art therapy that then helped me to like taught me how to make these molds so I think you find how to make things and learn the skills you need along the way in that sense well that's very curious because I, I was just listening to your story. I was thinking, what attracts you to this school? You have choices. You could choose different schools. What was it about this school and this program that spoke to you? Like of all the schools you can go to, why, why pick this one? I think it has an incredible reputation for thinking differently. And I felt like I wasn't sure what I wanted to specialize in. I'd always seen 
I had like this tension between my creativity and the design side, but also this like understanding of like business and how that ran. And I, I just felt these tensions. So I wanted to find a degree where I could explore like the idea of what design was rather than like necessarily learn a single skill because I, I didn't feel ready to learn what my single craft was at that time. I see. Okay. I, I get it. All right. So you graduate, you graduate and then you are doing fashion editorial, but then you're put into a production like shooting a music video and you get involved in that. So move us along the timeline here. What's the next major milestone? So you, I think you're in your early twenties here. Move us where, where else are we? Uh, where does this adventure take you? So, well, I suppose the, sh the shortcut is like I graduated and, you know, came out into the world as you do being an optimistic graduate. And I found this amazing agency in New York called Boyne Partners that were specialists in not specializing too. I suppose they, they were a studio that did a huge broad range of things. They did very like um, cultural commentary design, what I would call cultural commentary design. They did product design. They did cutlery design. They did graphics. They were this amazing creative couple called, um, uh, yeah, Boy the Boynes. And I wanted so desperately to experience what a design studio that had my way of thinking would feel like. So I packed my bags from London and moved to New York and volunteered as an intern there for six months. And I think that gave me hope that those studios that think holistically exist. But the reality is at some point I needed to come home and then you get back to London and you realize that you need to earn money again. And you're like, I'm a junior designer with not the right portfolio. And a lot of the agencies at the time were looking specifically for graphic design graduates that they could slot straight into their studio process. And I didn't have enough experience or my degree didn't reflect that. So I think that was quite a difficult moment to be like, I've got all this thinking, I've got all these skills, but what do I do as a job? And so I suppose then my next big moment was the role that I took at Establishing Sons, which was an incredibly exciting British furniture brand that was on this amazing journey. They, When I joined the company, they had been going for just about a year and they were probably, yeah, one of the most exciting furniture companies that had launched at that time. That took me to Establishing Sons. How do, how do you get a job at a place with not a practical portfolio? I'm just wondering, like, what are you doing? Because people are like, how does she get these jobs? Like, what's going on? So with that one, I needed to earn money. I loved the brand. I loved the values. They didn't have any design jobs available. They said they were looking for a receptionist. So I was like, well, I've got all these skills. I can run the reception. I didn't get the receptionist job, but they said, come and temp for the while we're waiting for the receptionist to start. And so I kind of wormed my way into the organization and just made myself so indispensable in those three months that they couldn't get rid of me. And, and the business was growing at a rapid rate. And I just every day wanted to get closer and closer to the design process. And that's what I did. And so eventually after, you know, chipping away and, and showing people what I could do, I was eventually made the head of product development. So I was running a 
design team, working with some of the most incredible designers and branding studios, working across product, branding, exhibition design, and got to work with the most incredible design legends from around the world. I got to work with Zaha Hadid, Jasper Morrison, Barbara Oscarby, all of these people that I'd read about at school. I was making their sketches into real things. And it was such an exciting time. And I think also what was incredible about Establishing Sons is I learned how important it is to create this holistic brand. You know, they understood that you needed to do everything from your identity, your experiences, your products, your materials, your tone of voice. And I think that's where I learned what it takes to create a great brand. I have a question for you before we move on to the holistic branding part, which is, how did you make yourself indispensable? What did you do? <laughs> Nothing dodgy. <laughs> I wasn't suggesting that, by the way. Um, I sp- well, a combination. I a lot of it is is hard work, you know. Like being also, I think because I was used to being quite commercially astute, I could see what the business needed, and I was then able to find ways and find solutions for people within the organization whether and similarly a lot of it was about building up relationships with people within the organization with helping them build up their relationships with press with sales with clients I just I could see the opportunities within the business and I just made myself indispensable and I think also continued to talk about what I could offer as a designer, like and making sure that that every opportunity um, I was there plugging away day to day. (laughs) So it sounds to me like you're very good at looking for for gaps and finding the opportunity in the gap. Somebody somebody needs something that can't be fulfilled. So you're still a pretty young person here if I'm just trying to understand the timeline. Can you take me into your mind? Like, what are you looking for when you see it? Like, there's a problem, a problem that's unsolved, and I'm going to be the person to solve that. Because I think this could be a valuable lesson, whether you're young or old, to be to be a person like Kirsty who can see the problems maybe that are ignored by everybody. What are you looking for? How are you making these decisions? I think it's about always remain curious. Like, I have never stopped learning. And I think like that I still hold as probably the way it's absolutely still how I work today. So I think like that kind of learning mindset means that you're never you're never satisfied with how it is now in terms of in an organization. You can always find problems to solve. And I think that's probably what allowed me to be able to find those opportunities because I was I was looking for them. And and I think also was excited by them I I always had a a passion to make things better or try new things and and I hope that that becomes infectious then in in an organization if you've got somebody in your especially when you're working with a startup like Establishing Sons was still fairly young organization I think you need the attitude of your team to you need people like that on your team who are you know going to be pushing with you rather than like pushing against you. And I think that's, that's definitely helped in my, in my career. You reminded me of a concept that I heard before. A lot of designers consider themselves problem solvers, like be a good problem solver. 
but you go to the next level. You're a problem seeker. <laughs> you found the problem first, right? Because you you weren't waiting around for people to say, Kirsty, here's a problem. We need you to solve this client relationship problem, or we we need to figure out a way to 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 turn a sketch into something. You were looking for a problem, and that's critical. And I think there's there's no surprise now that you're the creative director because you're looking for a good problem, and you're a problem seeker. That's a great way of looking at it, Chris. I think that's your idea. I'm just putting words to it. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> okay. So you're curious. You're always learning. You have this learning mindset. And we, we're hearing themes now. You like to go to places that, and I love the way that you said this as a 20-year-old, that had my philosophy in life. It's like, that's their philosophy. <laughs> you're just a new person into the world. But I like that the way of thinking. You intern from one place and then you intern for another place and then you come back and you just create your own job, it sounds like. You came in, you're like, you know what? That's not my job, but I'm going to warm my way in there and I'm going to figure it out. And you quickly did that. Okay, moving along the timeline here, when does it start to materialize for you where you're like, you know what? Now I've, I've, I've explored a lot and I'm starting to zero in on where I'm going with my life and career. Where are you? What? How old are you? What are you doing? So at that time I was about... I must have been about 24, 24. And at that point, I loved, I loved the brand. I loved, I loved the role I was doing, but I really missed being the creator. And so I think my biggest leap, I made the, the brave kind of brave choice of leaving all of that world behind and and going out of my comfort zone and joined Fabrica, the research laboratory for Benetton that's in Italy. So left left everything behind for this year experience in this incredible so so Fabrica is the research design research laboratory for Benetton. It was set up in the 90s by the photographer Toscani as like this incredible cross-cultural creative experiment where you go there and you work on all kinds of projects, some commercial, some much more experimental, some for Benetton, some for other brands, all wrapped up in this incredible concrete building made by the architect Tado Ando, where all of your worries are taken away. You live in houses with your colleagues, you're creating and designing every single day in this building. And it was an incredible experience to be going back to my roots and designing again. And it absolutely took me out of my comfort zone. I had an ECD there and Sam Barron was, he's amazing, but he was very tough on me and really challenged me to find who I was as a designer again, because I had spent so much time creating work, working with all these other amazing like star designers, but like hadn't really found like my voice in all of it. And it was an amazing moment. And I think it also taught me so much about what is needed to build the best environment for creativity to flourish. And, and when I think about what I want the environment of mother design to be like now, I often look back at that time and think, what were the, what were all the parameters that made that moment so great that you did make the best, some of the best work of your life and you challenged each other and you, you just learned, learned so much. I learned so much in, in a year and created so much work in a year. It meant that when I came back to London after that, I'd found a confidence and, and knew that my path, I wanted to be a creative director. I wanted to 
work with brands and define brands and define their brand worlds. I came back with a really clear view in a way from that experience because it, it sort of glued it all together. So where do you land next? So I came back to London, needed to pay the bills again. <laughs> I have to pause, just pause right there. Your story is like this, this loop. It's like Groundhog Day. Uh, something about you says, I want to change. I want to learn. I want to challenge myself. I'm going to go out into the world, but I'm not going to make no money. And then you come back to London. It's like, oh, I'm broke. I need to make money and I'm going to go find a job. And you keep doing this over and over again. So you come back with the realization, I need to make money. Where do you go? But I think I would say like Groundhog Day makes it sound like each time I was incrementally chipping away at the at the bigger picture. So I came back and um, I think... Again, I know with with what I was saying about with establishing sons, I I always looked for employers that had strong values. And I guess that's always been the thing that's driven me. It's been less about like the role itself. It's always been about like the company first. And then I've always, I don't know, maybe I've always had a confidence that I would find the role eventually within, within the organization, but it was about the organization first. So I came back and worked at this amazing company called The Future Laboratory. They are um, a futures consultancy. They do forecasting, insight, strategy, um, and innovation. And I was offered the job as a creative director there, working across the business, but also building the design offer offer alongside the incredible uh, founders there, Chris and Martin. And it was just absolutely great fun. I, I was allowed to test things out, build things. I worked with so many amazing brands. We looked a lot at like positioning what the future of the brands would be and then bringing that to life through design and through innovation. So I had four, like four amazing years with them and it, it was a really great experience. And and I think also like, again, it added another layer of, of experience about how design can be used to help businesses really project where they can go quite far into the future. So again, it was a different experience to what I'd had before, but one in which was kind of building all these pieces, which allows you to create these kind of holistic brands. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Kirsty. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. 
Welcome back to our conversation with Kirsty Mins. I'm just trying to keep track of how many different jobs you've had in different companies. So, so far in our short story here, you've had two internships. You went to work in-house as a staff creative at Established. Then you left to go to Fabrica, which is like this experimental place. And I've heard wonderful things about that as an experience. And then you come back to Future uh, uh, Future Labs. So that's already four. It's kind of a, a thing here. Okay. I already know this. I know the rest of your story. So what's the next job? So the ne- so I had four amazing years with them, you know, and as I like to iterate my life, I left them and I didn't leave them for a company. I left, I traveled across America. I, at the time, um, it was before, way before Trump had got in, but I was always curious about what happened in the middle of America. So I, I took a road trip for six months. I drove from... San Francisco to Detroit, through Texas, up through the middle. And I guess I just, again, I just wanted to be inspired and find, have a new experience. And I came back to London with with a great breadth of experience from the past and then spent time like freelancing. So then that's when I actually worked for a lot of different design and branding studios in London. I also, I had an amazing time at Google Creative Lab. I worked um, with Design Studio. I spent some time with this amazing agency called Skyblown Co. So I just had like shorter stints of just, again, absorbing knowledge. And yeah, so then that finally led me to where I am today, which is at the wonderful Mother Design. <laughs> okay. I, I have a theory about you, Kirsty, that you don't like money. You don't like stability. Because you work and then you go and do an adventure and then you come back and you work, right? So how long have you been at Mother right now? So three years. Okay. <laughs> Maybe one more year before you go on another adventure? No, I, I think like I've always spent a good chunk of time in, in those agencies. And I suppose like part of like why I'm, I love where I am now is I feel like all of those experiences have sort of led to what we offer at Mother Design and what we're trying to build there. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like that order all happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So now I, I want to be polite. I don't want to ask how old you are, but I'm doing the math here. It's like, okay, you still sound like a pretty young person. I'm just adding up the numbers here. You've lived a rich life though. Just so many experiences, right? You really have. And I, I just, I'm, I, I envy you. I mean, you, you seem to sound like such a free-spirited person. You're, you're courageous. You try things and you're not afraid to fail. You, you take time to like learn about who you are and what you want. And, and you try so many different things. And it, it's, it's, it's super fascinating to me because you, you must come from, I'm just going to make this giant assumption. Do you, I'm, I should just rephrase this as a question. What was family life for you? What was it like growing up uh, it, from, from age one to eight, age 18? What was family life for you? Family life... Um... My, I come from a family who have a really strong work ethic. So my first um, weekend job was when I was 15. I worked in a store. I was saving money every single weekend. I would be working evenings. I suppose I was brought up in such a household that had this strong work ethic that if you wanted to do something, you save up. You save up the money to do it and then you can enable yourself. Not in a, in a household where... I was handed anything on a plate. And I think that work ethic 
it sounds like, you know, like in some ways, it sounds like I've had all these amazing adventures and I have, but in between those adventures, there was saving, you know, there was, there's sacrifices, there's like renting out really small, tiny rooms in big house shares so that I could afford to go traveling and see all these countries. Like there was hard work and there was grit and there was, you know, I worked on the reception for Establishing Sons for three months before I was allowed to do something else more, you know, like it was never, it was never such a, an easy ride, but I was just so determined. I, I think what was great about my upbringing is my parents made me believe that if you could, if you worked hard, you could get whatever you wanted, but you had to put in the hours and you had to put in the time and, and that's how you got what, what you wanted. And I think that's just, has allowed me to be able to have these amazing experiences because I just believed in that. I didn't believe that, that I couldn't, I couldn't do it. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the, the question I want to ask you is this, is that at any point in your life, are you doubting yourself? Like, is this going to work out? Because I think you come, you must come from a stable family life for you not to have those kind of worries that many people have that I'm always kind of just trying to be mindful that I don't teach my kids to be so afraid of the world that they don't try stuff. Of course, there's been doubt along the way. I think like there is imposter syndrome in probably every stage of that process, which particularly when you're a female creative director coming into some of these organizations, you you start to compare yourself or you, you doubt your abilities. But I think like the other thing that my parents taught me is about not comparing your journey to others. And that's something when I'm mentoring young creatives, is probably the most important thing I'd say is like, if you focus on the work and you focus on working really hard and you focus on the value you're going to bring that organization, that's going to bring you happiness and going to give you career development. If you start focusing on everyone else's journey around you, then it's only going to trip you up. So I think also I have two siblings and my sister was very clear on a direction from an early age. And I, and I think I always felt a bit lost when I was, younger but my parents was like don't compare yourself you can't compare yourself and and I think that is a really important thing that I've learned from my family values um yeah hard graft grit and don't compare yourself to anyone else <laughs> that's the uh cliff notes version of our conversation <laughs> hard work grit don't compare yourself to anyone else okay that's clear to me you know but so much of I think is happening today with the proliferation of social media platforms, it almost becomes impossible not to see how well other people are doing because you're reminded of it on every platform that you go on. How, how can I, as a young person, see this work that inspires me and be inspired by it, yet not beat myself up over it, seeing that there's a vast gap between where I am and where I want to be? I think it's about trying to offer a more generous way of looking at it and being like, there is room for you at the table. There is room for you in the world. There is room for you in the creative industry. So yes, that person over there might be where you want to be, but instead of being jealous and using that as negativity, use that as inspiration, like use that to be thinking, okay, you want, you know, learn from that person, get in contact with that person or like find, find other people to do a project with that will get you there. Or I think it's, it is hard to not compare yourself, but I think if you're focused on your own path and what you can do in, in your way and in, and be generous and kind towards other people, it, it makes it 
much easier, I think, than if you are constantly comparing yourself to other people within an industry which which does have room for people. You know, like I think going back to what I learned at the very beginning, there are so many amazing creative roles. And I think it's just like knowing a bit more about what those roles are and, what, and where you can get involved. There's room for people. Wonderful. Okay. You know, it seems like you're so clear about who you are, what you want to do at such a very young age too. And I'm, I'm a fan of Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. And in it, the hero has a call to adventure and there's a refusal or the anxiety of the call. And then someone comes along, a mentor guides this person and crosses the threshold and leaves the old world for the new world. Throughout this entire story, it seemed like you're very clear that there was no resistance. There was no anxiety of the call. Can you look back on your life and see like there was a moment there where you weren't sure and you were doubting yourself and possibly tell us like what gave you the courage to just go forward anyways? I think at every decision there was doubt and fear a hundred percent. And I, I think though, even for probably like maybe five to 10 years after my degree, that degree didn't necessarily make sense. You know, it was only probably when I got my first creative director role, I was like, oh, okay, this all is coming into coming into place. So I think, I guess I just believe there wasn't a wrong or right, there wasn't a wrong or right decision. There was just a decision to be made. And so in that case, I suppose my attitude, whether it had been a good or a bad experience, was like, it's an experience that's going to move me forward and I'm going to learn something from it. So I think I've probably always, even in good or bad times, have been, you know, annoyingly optimistic. And sometimes maybe that's what's carried me through, um, even when I've made bad decisions along the way. Okay. One example actually is Fabrica. So I applied and I got rejected. I applied, I got rejected. I applied, I got a note from Sam Barron, the executive creative director. And he said to me, he was like, I'm going to reject you again, but if you go and prove that you have your own creativity, then we'll offer you a, a role. So then I had to go away and I, um, a friend of mine who I work with at Established and Sons, we invented a project for ourselves where we created um, curated this exhibition that was all about um, these fan photographs we'd had and we created this whole show around this project, but that was an example where I was rejected, rejected, rejected. But I just, I going back to the seeking the problem. I was like, okay, I'll find a way round. I'll just keep finding a different way in, or a way round, or a way a sideways in, or a. So I think like there's lots of examples like that that probably I've blocked out of my mind of of finding my way of dealing with rejection is finding another way in. <laughs> You're pretty good at doing that, by the way. It's like you don't take no easy. So what is it that's going on in your mind when you hear no three times? Because that's a lot of no's. What are you feeling? And the way, the way I ask that is some people respond with anger like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. I'll prove to you. You are making a mistake right now. Or are you just sitting there thinking, I haven't given them what they need to see to see what I see in myself? I mean, what what's the narrative that's going on in your mind? I think when you're working in design and you're not a specialist, it's 
hard to hold your nerve and hold your, I felt like I wasn't a legitimate designer. I think when I was rejected from Fabrica, I was like, okay, maybe my path is not a designer. My path is more in like product development and in that side. But there was a part of me that was like, you can't give up that easily. You Just because someone's telling you, you can't be a designer doesn't mean that you can't be a designer like you. And so I, I think at that moment, I wanted to prove to myself when someone had said no that many times, it was proving to myself like I could do it. Yeah, it goes back to that that kind of family ethic of like hard work and that belief that like, okay, you can do anything if you put hard work into it. I'll just have to work a bit harder to find my way. Mm. So you converted no into just work harder. And this was set in your roots from, from an early age, right? Like hard work can solve a lot of problems. Maybe not every problem, but that was going to be your thing. You're just going to outwork it until you got what you wanted in life. Yeah? Yeah. I, I also think about this when you were talking about the Goldsmith School, which was like they taught you no practical skills. It was a kind of go figure it out on your own. Do you think that set some of the foundations too? Like when, when you encountered a problem, you're like, Kirsty, you're a smart person. Let's figure this out. Let's just figure out what we need to do. Change the brief, make up our own projects, do whatever it is that you need to do to be able to overcome the problem. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, again, it's something that I think throughout my whole career, I've always tried to make sure that I always have the practical skills to back it up. So at Fabrica, I live with this amazing coder and developer and he then taught me how to like do basic coding and then that I started to like learn that tool myself and I think like again you can teach yourself a lot of the skills I think some of the foundations and the thinking it was so useful to have that from an education system because I think that requires like more time and more like over a longer period whereas throughout my career I've always upskilled at every point and like done free courses or like found friends who have skills that they can teach me like cross cross learn skills and I think that's really important I love to be able to know how to use all the tools as well as be a creative director it's almost like you almost need to know the tools to know how to direct and I suppose that's the way I've I've always like want to keep relevant I always want to make sure that I know what tools are out there that can be used. Knowing what you know now, you can go back in time and tell an 18-year-old Kirsty, would you still tell that person to go to the school that you'd learn no practical skills or would you tell them to go and learn some practical skills from a different school? I wouldn't change a thing. You know what? I would tell them this is going to be relevant. You're going to have twists and turns in your career journey as long as you like teach yourself the skills, like the foundations that you are getting here will set you up for your thinking for life. That's what I'd tell myself. So I'd be like, don't worry. (laughs) Our stories could not be more different in terms of the contrast in you exploring and me going to a school that was known for teaching us very practical skills, helping you to develop a very refined portfolio the minute you step out of school to be highly employable. And so with that, like I got a job, I started my company and that was that. 
the adventure is a different kind of adventure, but it's just fascinating to hear about how you're bouncing across different continents, different kinds of programs and schools, and just learning so many different skills. This very rich tapestry of your experience. It's so wonderful to hear about. Thank you. Yes. So uh, I guess I, I said I was going to ask you no more questions, but I have one last question. Is there a question I should have asked you on this that you want to speak about that I should have asked you but didn't? I don't think so. <laughs> Is there? I don't know. I, I don't think so. But maybe you are like, hey, man, you should have asked me about this time that I did this. And then I would have loved to tell you that story. No, I, I think, I guess the exciting thing with all of these things combined is I see my role now so much about how do you create the best creative environment to create the best work. And I think that's why I feel very lucky at, at Mother, because they have they have this amazing holy trinity that's called um that's got three things it's do the best work we possibly can have fun and make a living and it's always in that order and that kind of philosophy and and a mindset I think sort of summarizes in some ways like my career journey to date which is I think probably why I I ended up in mother because it's it feels like so strangely aligned with the the story that we've just spoken about I think it seems like every experience you had is really aligned with who you are. Like from Fabrica to Establishing Sons to you just going on a road trip across America for six months. It seems so in aligned, in alignment. And I, I wonder how many young people out there are listening to this and think to themselves like that they have that same clarity. And I think they're just struggling to figure out what what am I supposed to be doing in this life? You talked a little bit about comparison, how that can wreck you, how it can make you depressed and just make you lose a sense of yourself. Do you have any final thoughts on that and that person who's out there? Absolutely, because like the difference is I didn't have clarity of where I wanted to end up. That I'm clear about. And I, I mentor a lot of young creatives and I have that exact conversation and all of the creatives I mentor, they they had the same challenge that I had like what do I want to do I don't know what I want to be like how am I going to earn money like what is my path and I I suppose it's like take one step at a time like be curious learn along the way you're not going to make don't see every decision as a wrong decision just every opportunity you have like make the best of it if you're working on the reception of a brand that you like make the most of it and don't think about like where you want to get in 20 years time just think about the experience that you want to have now and the experience what you're going to get out of that experience and I think like I never had an end goal in mind I never had an end goal of being an ECD at mother that wasn't my end goal my end goal was just like just this ambition and drive and passion for design and it was that passion that led me to go and make those decisions I did so I, I think for a young person just find something you're passionate about or excited about or interested in and and don't worry about you know where you don't be so obsessed with like needing to know all the answers because no one knows the answers i mean do you do you know what what, what you where you want to be in like a few years time five years time does anyone it's a good question i hope so but i don't know now i'm thinking about maybe i don't know yeah i i usually think about like i have a direction but i don't know how to get there so life is about like finding the right path to get there. But we're going to enjoy the journey along the way and to love every moment of it and allow ourselves to be influenced by 
the experiences that we have and the people that we meet. That's just my theory on that, though. Yeah, I, I think that's a good theory. And I, I suppose when you're a designer, it does inform the whole way you view the world and, and kind of the life you create around it. So it's it's kind of less necessarily about worrying too much about the final. There is no final destination, I suppose. Right. And when you're telling that story, I, I want to emphasize everybody that's listening that there is no set timetable as to where, where you're supposed to be, how old or young you're supposed to be, and what you're supposed to have in success and awards. None of that really matters. Give yourself some grace to find your path and to be open to what the next adventure holds for you. And, and now, as a kind of as a Game of Thrones fan, I, I want to cite something here that I think maps to your story here, which is Theon Greyjoy in the final season of Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert, everybody. He's in the woods. He's talking to Bran Stark. He's made some horrible decisions in his life. He's betrayed friends and family. He's done some really dumb stuff and he's had to pay the price. And so he's teary-eyed and he looks at Bran in the woods and it seems like the world is going to end quite literally in the story. And he says, Bran, I just want to apologize. And Bran's just like, and Bran's the three-eyed raven. He knows everything and he's so wise now. He he waves his hand. He's like, there's no need to say you're sorry. We're exactly where we need to be. If you hadn't done what you did, I wouldn't be here and we would not be here at this moment in time. And I know it's like pop culture fiction stuff, but there's something that resonates with me because at that moment where Bran says to Theon, everything's okay and I forgive you. And he breaks down emotionally. He's like, and then he turns around and he does the best that he can in the final moments of his life. And it's wonderful. So I just want to say to everybody who's listening to this, you are exactly where you need to be and everything will be okay. Thank you very much, Kirsty, for doing this podcast with me. Thank you. My name is Kirsty, and you're listening to The Future. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.